for singing nothing but the blood. How fitting it was to sing that song. It's not your typical Easter kind of song. But if Jesus didn't shed his blood on a cross and he just died of old age and then rose from the dead, we'd be hopeless, right? Or if vice versa happened, if Jesus had, had died and bled but didn't rise, we'd be in deep trouble. But he did both, and both had to happen. And so I love it that we ended in that song that I would not think of as an Easter song because it reminds me that he shed his blood, but then he rose. And we need both. And he did both because he knew that's exactly what we needed. What a Savior we have. I want to pray, and then Renee is going to come and read from us out of Matthew 28. So if you guys have your Bibles, and you want to open up to Matthew 28, she's going to read the whole chapter to us. This is the resurrection story um, from Matthew's vantage point. And so she's going to read that in a minute, but I want to pray before she comes up here and does that. Well, Lord Jesus, we are thrilled this morning at what you have done for us. We needed a Savior who was both God and man, and only you could do that. We needed a Savior who was perfect and without sin from start to finish, and you accomplished that. We needed someone who could be the perfect lamb blood sacrifice, and you were able to do that. We needed someone to take the wrath of God, and you did that. We needed someone who would rise from the dead so that we could have the hope of rising from the dead, and you did that. We need a high priest who's sitting in heaven declaring our innocence night and day, and you're doing that. And, and we need a Savior who is able to either come back and get us, or when we drop over dead, take us to heaven. And you're able to do that too. You are the perfect God-man. And so we thank you and praise you for doing all the things that we need and we never would have thought of this on our own. Who could create a story like this? No one. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for us. And then thank you for communicating it to us in your word. So that this morning, we're not guessing. We're not flipping coins. How do you think we get to heaven? And somebody else, how do you think? And we're guessing. We can know for certain this morning, even from this one chapter, how we can get right with God and get to heaven. And so help us. Give us fresh faith this morning to receive a familiar story as supremely unique, as one of a kind. There is no other story like this. And so help us, Lord, to believe it and to savor it and to love it and help us to act each day in accordance with what this story, the truth that this story contains. So fill our hearts with faith. Even as Renee reads God, your precious word to us, Fill our hearts with joy and faith, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew 28, 1 through 20. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. 
See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Renee. Well, this story is packed with action. We've got earthquakes, we've got angels descending from heaven, monster stones being rolled away, empty tombs, dead men walking. We've got fear and trembling, guards passing out, women running in fear with great joy, bribery, corrupt government cover-ups, and an unstoppable mission. This is better than any Netflix movie you could come up with. What a story. It has it all. But what I want to focus on this morning are four things that happen when men and women encounter the reality of the risen Christ. What happens when men and women in this story, and we're going to look mostly at ladies in this story, the women in this story, and men and women today encounter the reality that Jesus Christ really rose from the dead? So four things. The first one is this, fear. And kids, if you've got a handout, your handout goes along with this little, uh, little talk this morning, sermon. So if you want to follow along, if you didn't get one, there's extra handouts up here in the front. You can come and grab one. But the first one is fear. We see this in verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. Be looking at your Bibles. Don't listen to me. Listen to what God says. And for fear of him, that's the fear of the angel in this case, who's there because Jesus resurrected, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So the story begins with these guards, which, you know, I don't know how you picture them, but these guys are like Arnold Schwarzenegger, the whole deal, you know, they're jacked with their swords, and they literally have an anxiety attack. They don't know how to process uh, an earthquake, um, a guy showing up white as snow, like lightning, and he's pushing the stone away, I don't know what he did it without even touching it, like, beep. he moves the stone, and they don't know how to process it. So they literally have a panic attack, an anxiety attack to the point where they pass out on the ground like a bunch of dead men. And then if you look at the very next verse, I love the transition that takes place here. So the, the, the guards, they fall down. And then look at what he says to the ladies. But, the angel said to the women, you don't need to be afraid. 
So these big dudes are passed out on the ground, but he says to the women, but he says to them, you don't, don't be afraid. It's okay. We have everything under control. And then in verse 8, we see more fear. We see the ladies running in fear. So there's just fear all over the place in this passage where people encounter God and they find there's fear. Now, there's different types of fear. I don't know if any, any kids are afraid of the dark or afraid of spiders. Maybe we're afraid of snakes. I don't know. There's all kinds of different kinds of fear. This is cemetery fear. You guys know cemetery fear? I remember when I was a kid, we went to watch fireworks, and we sat up on a hill in a cemetery. So you get there before it's dark, so you can get your spot, as if other people were going to rush to the cemetery. And then as the sun goes down, I remember being a kid realizing, something about this doesn't seem right. Like, I'm sitting at a cemetery. Is it, is it really worth these fireworks to be sitting here in this cemetery? Maybe some of you guys remember when we had our very first church plant meetings at Stoffer's Funeral Home. Yeah, and it was like the second or third meeting, and we walked in. A group of us got there first. We walk into Stoffer's, and there's a casket. Yeah. Open. <laughs> and she's there. And I, remember I called the funeral director. I was like, hey, this is Matt from Christchurch. You're letting us use your, your facility in Mount Airy? And he just goes, oh, no. And I just said, oh, yeah. And then he literally says, open or closed? And I said, open. And he was like, I will send somebody there so fast. <laughs> and never did we wait for someone to arrive so quickly to close the casket and to remove our new friend from the room. <laughs> There's just something different there's a different kind of fear when you expect a grave to be covered up, but instead there's a pile of dirt next to it. There's a different kind of fear when a casket is supposed to be closed, but it's open. There's a different kind of fear when a grave is supposed to be sealed shut, but it isn't. And that is the fear they're experiencing. It's the fear due to the fact that the tomb was supposed to be occupied is now found empty, which means someone is walking around that's not supposed to be. There are certain things you can expect to be true in life, right? Things you say constant and predictable, things you can count on them, count on. And one of them is that dead people stay dead. And when constant, predictable things get removed, often fear fills the void. I want to be in control, and this is how things are supposed to go, and this is how things always go, and they're not. And then fear and panic can take their place. I think that's what's happening here in this story. And, and just to make sure that the reader knows exactly what is happening, Matthew lets us in on the words of the angels to Mary and Mary. No question about what's happening here. Look at what he says in verse 6. This is the angel's words. Just in case we wonder, like, something else took place, he clears it all up for us. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. I feel like we should say that together. He is not here for he has risen as he said. And with these words, we realize the men who were alive, the guards, are now like dead men. And the man who was supposed to be dead, Jesus, is now alive. you got to love the reversal in this story. The men who should be alive guarding the body of a dead man are now like a dead man, while the dead man they were supposed to be guarding is now alive. <laughs> it's almost comical. It's insane. And the angels' words here, well, the angels' words, they're probably the best news to ever flow off the tongue of an angel. He is not here. He is risen 
as he said. That was almost the sermon for this morning. Three points. Number one, he is risen, or he's not here. Point number two, for he is risen. Point number three, as he said. <laughs> Let that be a sermon you develop in your own heart this week. I love each point. He's not here. He's not, Jesus is not where he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be in the tomb, but he's not there. He's supposed to be decomposing, but he's not. His body should be smelling, but it isn't. The rock is supposed to be over the tomb, but it's not there. And the angel makes it clear why he's not there. He tells us that he is risen. He's alive. He has resurrected from the dead. And that all this is no accident. It didn't take Jesus by surprise. He wasn't like, oh my goodness, what's happening? I'm coming back to life. He wasn't shocked by this. He planned it. He predicted it. At least ten times in the New Testament, Jesus predicts his death and his resurrection. He knew it was going to happen. And I wonder if the angel reminds Mary and Mary of this, that Jesus already knew, as a way of kind of calming their fears just a little bit. Maybe they're in a panic. He's like, take a deep breath, take a deep breath, take a breath, relax, it's okay. Remember, Jesus said that he was going to rise from the dead, like using, using that reminder to calm them down, to help release some of their fear. So there definitely is a, a, a sense of panic, a sense of, of fear in them, but then quickly met with that second point is there is great joy. There is great joy. Look at verse 8 with me. Verse 8 says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Not just joy, great joy. I, I think this sums up Easter, does it not? Is not Easter a day of great joy? It's a day of great joy. Now the word great here in the Greek means great. It means abundant and splendid. The word joy means gladness and delight. So Mary and Mary are filled with this abundant delight, this splendid gladness, this overwhelming sense of the impossible just happened, and their hearts are filled with great joy. Now, of all the things on this earth that fill us with great joy, I'm pretty sure Jesus' empty tomb should be at the top of our list. <laughs> right at the top. I mean, is there anything more joy-producing than knowing that Jesus didn't stay dead? I don't know anybody else who fulfills that category. Nothing more joy-producing. Is there anything that produces more splendid gladness than knowing that Jesus is who he said he was and proved it in his resurrection? Is there anything that causes more abundant delight than knowing Jesus conquered death, defeated Satan, made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins, took the wrath of God, justifies us, forgives us, clothes us in his righteousness, and reconciles us to God? And all of that is signed, sealed, and delivered when Jesus walks out of the tomb. I was thinking about this whole idea of joy this week and the empty tomb and think about how good would it be if we had a habit of reminding ourselves on a daily basis that the tomb is empty. Just reminding ourselves. Wouldn't that be a rock-solid way to increase our joy? I want more joy. So when the car breaks down, the tomb is empty. <laughs> I gained 10 more pounds? The tomb is empty. <laughs> My plans got completely canceled and destroyed. The tomb is empty. We're out of Cheez-Its? <laughs> the tomb is empty. 
The cancer is back. The tomb is empty. I lost my job. The tomb is empty. They're getting a divorce. The tomb is empty. I wonder if the reality of the empty tomb is meant to help us to deal with and to find peace and perspective in all of life's trials and pain and suffering. I wonder if the empty tomb is an untapped power source of joy for us when everything in life around us crumbles to the ground. So I think the empty tomb might should be the greatest cause of joy, (laughs) great joy, abundant delight, and splendid gladness. So Mary and Mary have some fear going on that, that Jesus and the angel seek to neutralize. Then they find themselves filled with great joy. And then we find in verse 7, they begin to worship. There seems to be just a natural progression here. right? They go from this, this astounding fear over, oh my goodness, Jesus rose to, wow, great joy, to falling down low. Look what it says in verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Now, we have studied the word worship as a church, so we know that that does not mean that Mary pulled out a guitar and sang melody while the second Mary grabbed her tambourine and sang harmony. (laughs) We know that there's not even one verse in the whole Bible that connects worship and singing. Not even one. Every time the word worship is used, either someone is slitting the throat of an animal as a blood sacrifice, or someone is face down on the ground before God. Which is fitting because the word worship literally means to prostrate oneself. To get on your knees and touch your forehead to the ground. And here we find just another example of this. As Mary and Mary are wrapping their arms around his feet and worshiping him. Worship, again, is just a heart attitude of surrender and submission. That in the Bible is outwardly expressed by getting physically low. And in this case, holding on to Jesus's pierced feet i think by getting low here and worship before jesus saying jesus we surrender to you you are great and you are worthy of all of our submission and we need to note that jesus doesn't stop them does he he doesn't stop them he receives their submission their worship their surrender because he knows the very best thing for them and the very best thing for us is to realize that he and he alone is worthy of our full worship, our full surrender, and our full submission. And so he receives it knowing, you know, knowing, yes, this is right, and it is the best thing for you as a human being. And this really is the only appropriate response, don't you think, for someone who just resurrected from the dead? <laughs> kind of puts him in a class on his own. And I think this should be our response as well. I think we should be filled with inexpressible joy, but also incomplete surrender and worship. We watched a basketball or a soccer game yesterday, and after one of the guys scored a goal, he said, we think, because he Muslim maybe, he, he went down on hands and knees and put his forehead to the ground in worship to his God. And I thought, man, if he does that for a God that doesn't exist and didn't resurrect how much more should we not find ourselves with our forehead on the ground, face down, declaring, Jesus, because your tomb is empty, I surrender to your will and to your ways. 
Because you rose from the dead, I submit to your every desire. Because you resurrected from the dead, I seek your plans over mine. Because your tomb is empty, I surrender all my dreams and all of my desires and all of my hopes to you and to you alone. How else should we respond to a Jesus who dies in our place and then rises in our place so that we can say this morning, I've already died and I've already been raised and I'm just waiting for my second resurrection. So may we surrender to him the way that Mary and Mary did. And then, of course, the next phrase that leaves our Savior's lips after Jesus tells them to not be afraid, in verse 10, he tells them to go and tell. Go and tell. When I was a kid, we had at school show and tell. It was like my favorite day of the year because I could bring anything I wanted from home into school, show everybody and talk about it. Well, this is go and tell where they get to now go and tell what they experienced and what they saw. And this is so fitting to the storyline of the Bible. Every time somebody encounters God, God sends them on some sort of a mission. I have just four samples for you really quick to show you. From Abraham to Isaiah to Jeremiah to Jonah. So we've got Abraham. What does God tell him to do? Go from your country and be a blessing. You've got Isaiah. What does God say to him? Who will, who will I send and who will go for us? We've got Jeremiah. He encounters God and he says, do not, do, not, do not say, I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go. And Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. This is God. God's ascending God. He has people encounter him, and then he sends them off on a mission. And that's what's happening here. Mary and Mary are now sent on a go-and-tell mission. So I wondered, if, what if verse 10, what if verse 10 Jesus says to them, don't be afraid and don't go tell anybody? Can you imagine? Imagine you're at a funeral, the casket's closed, the person's been dead for three or four days, you're there, pastor's saying stuff, and all of a sudden, and the person gets out. But don't go tell anybody. I mean, that's the first thing you want to do. You're going to take a picture, and you're going to start sending it to everybody you know. So it's almost ridiculous that he would say that. If you encountered someone, you watched them suffer and bleed and die on a cross, stabbed through the side. They were there, Mary and Mary. They see his lifeless body get taken down from the cross. Their closest friends wrap him up and take his cold, stiff body to the tomb. He's there for three days. And then you see him and talk to him. Aren't you going to go tell people? I mean, that's just knee-jerk reaction. Everyone is going to go tell if you see something like that. Now, you think about how many times in the New Testament Jesus does something and he tells a person, don't go tell anybody. And what's the first thing you do? They go and tell somebody. Because you, you can't help it. If you encounter the risen Christ for real, you will tell people. I remember when I first saw the beauty and the love and the grace of Jesus, you couldn't stop me from telling people. Maybe you were that way. Maybe you remember what that was like. Like, people have to know, and so I want to tell people. And so we go and we tell, and we find ourselves joining Mary and Mary, going and telling people that Christ is risen. There are some things I think that we just can't keep to ourselves. And I think the more that we really believe and love and treasure the reality that Jesus rose from the dead, the harder it will be to not talk about it.
Yet, we'll kind of finish up the story here. While Mary and Mary ran off on their go-and-tell mission, we know there's another group of people plotting their own go-and-tell mission, right? And according to verse 15, that go-and-tell mission is still being spread among the Jews. It's the lie that somebody stole his body. They, they moved the stone and they, they snuck his body away. So while the angels are proclaiming, he's not here, he's risen, they're proclaiming, he's not here, the disciples stole his body. So two things are happening simultaneously. And if you notice these men, I mean this, sorry, when I, when I read this and get into it, it's, it's almost laughable. These, these men, look who they are. These are, the, in verses 11 to 15, the people who are plotting this plan to tell everybody somebody stole the body. We've got guards, chief priests, elders, soldiers, governors. We've got all these people with great authority. All the authority in Rome. And then yet look what Jesus says in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's like, it's almost, you, you read this together, it's almost comical. Like all these, the, the, the power people of Rome are together plotting their plan. And so Jesus just gets his disciples together and he's like, Hey man, just so you guys know, all authority in heaven and on earth, it's been given to me. And at least from my perspective, people who die and resurrect, tend to have more authority than people who haven't. <laughs> Just a little bit. So we believe and we embrace the authority of our resurrected Jesus. And listen, he is alive for good. He's not like Lazarus, right? That poor dude got the bad end of bull sticks. He had to die twice, right? He dies, Jesus raises him from the dead. He's like, yeah, okay, that's great, but you're going to die again, Sorry. <laughs> He had to go through death twice, not with Jesus. Because in verse 20, Jesus says very clearly, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is here to stay. The resurrect Jesus is going to be around for a very long time. Try eternity. And there's no more death for him and resurrection. So we follow Mary and Mary this morning in their great joy. We seek to be like them in their worship. We want to act like them by running to go and tell people who don't know the resurrected Christ. So may we, church family, love and embrace the resurrection in such a way that the empty tomb overshadows our trials and our sorrows and our fears. May we believe and treasure the resurrection of Christ in such a way that we embrace his feet and surrender our whole lives to him. And may we love him and seek to spread a passion for his glory by going and telling those who don't know him. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, what an incredible story. And we thank you that this was not a story written by man and then produced on Netflix. This is for real. This is history. This is true. And Jesus, we believe it with all of our hearts this morning that you came, born of a virgin, lived flawlessly, sacrificed your life for our sins, bore the Father's wrath, died, 
remained in a tomb for three days and then rose from the dead. And what hope that brings us this morning, because we all know that one day we will die. We will die. Every second that goes by, I'm a second closer to dying. So I need a Savior. I need the hope of Jesus' resurrection to know that I am going to not stay dead. And so Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for doing it. And then thank you for recording it in your word so that we know you are the risen Christ. And we surrender to you this morning. Lord Jesus, we not only believe that you are the risen Christ, but we love you for it, and we want to live for you because of it. You are great, and you're worthy of all of our time and our emotions and our money and our houses and our cars and our food. You're worthy of everything we have and everything we are. And so this morning, we declare our surrender to you. And Jesus, it's so good to surrender to you because you're so kind and loving and merciful. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, for any in this room that are not born again, we pray that your spirit would do what only you can do. For any of my friends in this room whose faith is just weak or tired or skeptical, pray, God, for fresh faith this morning. Fresh faith that you are who you said you are and that your word fully supports it and that it was preserved for thousands of years for us on this Easter morning in 2021. And Father, for those in this room whose faith is strong and vibrant, I just pray for an increased filling of your spirit to go and tell. An increase in joy for all of us, please. Give us joy. That no matter what happens to us this afternoon or tomorrow, if we forgot to turn the crock pot on and the ham isn't cooked, may we say the tomb is empty. Whatever happens this day and tomorrow, may we celebrate with joy that the tomb is empty because nothing can change that. And so help us. Help us, I pray. Help us to, help us to celebrate with joy appropriately for what you have done for us and for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.